Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. Barbara Dossi is a trailblazer in holistic nursing. She is a recognized leader and authority in the field. With passion and a persuasive eloquence, Barbara Dossi is expanding the domain of traditional nursing. As a pioneer in the holistic nursing movement, she works to achieve the practice and philosophies of holistic care, both within the health professions and in the lives of lay people. She's the author of many respected and award-winning books. Her book, Florence Nightingale, Mystic, Visionary, and Healer, focuses on the philosophical and practical impact of Florence Nightingale's life and work on modern nursing and humankind. As an educator, consultant, researcher, and author, Barbara Dossi profoundly alters perceptions about holistic nursing. I am so thrilled and honored to have her here with us today as we talk about the rituals of self-care. This is The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I'm so interested in what you do. I don't think before I met you that I'd heard of holistic nursing. (laughs) At the core of nursing, all nurses are holistic. The thing that uh, has happened, uh, the American Holistic Nurses Association is 40 years old next year. So I just, let's go ahead. And the reason I do that is 2020 is the bicentenary of Florence Nightingale. It's her 200th birthday. So she is the founding of modern secular nursing. Nightingale's principles were very holistic, looking at body, mind, spirit, culture, environment, putting it all together. She did not believe that it's just curing or healing, but it's a both and. It's not an either or. And so what happened in the 70s and 80s and 90s, medicine and all healthcare professionals had a love affair with technology, with different kinds of tests and we put aside the caring healing component. So in uh, 1980, it was the beginning of the American Holistic Nurses Association. There were 75 founding members. We are a recognized specialty within the American Nurses Association, and it is absolutely thrilling. And that has been one of the great gifts in my life to be uh, not only a member of the American Nurses Association, which I have been since 1965 when I graduated from undergraduate, but also then with a specialty of holistic nursing and now working in uh, moving forward the specialty of integrative nurse coaching. So it's a very exciting time. It is, you know, and, and I love that because I think you're exactly right how things have moved. I even think about you know, holistic as, as far as people embracing it in the medical field in general. And that we, we, there's been this reintegration, if you will, because it seems like it was there at one point where, right. we, where people had a more holistic approach. I think that is, you know, one of the gifts that I'm able to bring forward in this work. And uh, as we're talking about it, Larry's name will be coming up. So I'll just say about it. Uh, Larry and I met in uh, the mid 60s and um Larry was very much interested in uh, mind-body medicine. And of course, he's now looked at the bigger piece of non-locality. 
but to have that support of us walking this together when people really thought we were crazy when we started talking about meditation and imagery and relaxation, which now is just absolutely healing rituals that we all use. And then it is moving to that next level of how we can truly create those rituals of healing for ourselves. So that if we do need modern medicine, which is curing, I mean, it's like right now, I can see out of my right eye because I had a corneal transplant. And but I run a 20 to 30 percent rejection for the rest of my life. So this is another reason that I've certainly gotten into caring and healing for self and then working with, uh, you know, others in doing this. And also I can walk without pain. I've had, you know, a hip replacement on both hips. You know, and now I'm pain free and, you know, I can't wait because I just had a hip uh, replacement two months ago and I'm now getting my quads back in. So I am ready to take some big, long hikes come uh, August when Larry and I go to the mountains. Uh, So the, the point here that I'm trying to make here is it's curing and healing. So the curing is this marvelous technology where you can get new hips. I would have been, you know, crippled if it hadn't been for that. I would be blind in my right eye if it hadn't been for having to have a corneal transplant. But, uh, not but, but it's both and and putting these together. So let's just look at it before I went to surgery. Oh, my goodness. Let's just kind of go in because you had said, let's kind of speak about rituals of healing. And what do I mean by that? Yeah. So. What I did was created, uh, and I'll come back with some definitions later, is just created some rituals of healing for myself. So one thing that was very clear is, first of all, finding a surgeon that I absolutely trusted and would listen to my story and some challenges I had with the first surgery and listen to that. And it was just flawless from start to finish. But then uh, with that, too, I was very careful about... Uh, looking at healthy eating uh, a month out from surgery, uh, making sure that I got off of all vitamins <laughs> so that I would have no conflict with any kind of medicines that I would need to take during the surgery. And again, I want to say that was my ritual for me. I am not being prescriptive and saying, if you're getting ready to hip surgery, get off your vitamins. This is what I worked out with my physician. And this was his also choice that I get off of some of the uh, supplements that I was taking. Then to address my own fears of going through that surgery. And this is one thing as a nurse, I know everything that can go wrong. And, uh, but it was part of me being able to go in for that procedure setting up a ritual of healing of my imagery, already working a good two weeks before I went to surgery on bone healing and wound healing and getting up to walk without pain. So rehearsing that in my mind. So I was creating these new pathways to deepen into my healing. That's so beautiful. It, it's like combining, like what I'm hearing you say is that it's not one or the other. You know, it's, it's, and I think that at one point people thought, oh, I have to go totally holistic or I have to just go with the medical model, but they really, they interface and dovetail so beautifully. And then the other piece that we can put on this is when we look at rituals, uh, let me just give, a, you know, a basic definition of ritual. It is an enactment of our own beliefs and behaviors and values that we believe to be true for us. And then what you do is you find these healthy patterns and you reenact them. So uh, it's, you know, it's getting uh, going in uh, to surgery with blood pressure normal, 
releasing all my fear and anxiety so that then I could create these new pathways. And then what I did for the two months before surgery is I deliberately went into a meditation, a reflective practice every day, very faithfully. I did that in the morning. And then what I would do is once I did that for 15 or 20 minutes, before I would start my busy day, I would anchor my experience. And so a mere touch alone, and for me, I love putting an anchor. Uh, you know, if I didn't tell you, you would just think I was putting my hands on my chest. But I know that this touch here is associated with me going into a deep, reflective space about caring and healing, moving through my surgery very successfully. And then creating that same ritual in the evening before I went to sleep. Now, during the day, if I would feel a fear and anxiety come up around surgery, I would just say, okay, Barbie, take a breath in and let it out. And I would then touch myself as the anchor again to get back to that space to, this is not a, when I say go to that deeper space, it's we create a rhythm and we have to get into a flow state and access it. And it takes some practice to really do it at the best and the deepest level uh, that we can. So when I speak about rituals, I think we can also look at traditional and self-generated rituals. So let's just look at some traditional rituals. So I look uh, in my family of origin, growing up with a brother and sister, mother, daddy, grand and granddaddy, always there. And the way we would celebrate birthdays, Thanksgiving, holidays. And now, as I have grown up, and Larry and I are together with our extended family, and then my brother and sister with their families, we still take in the traditional rituals that were very, very powerful for us growing up. And now we've added to those. So for example, a self-generated ritual that we do now is once we have done our traditional, let's just do Christmas, once we've done the cooking and Bev and I have tasted that because we both use mother, mother and grand's recipe. And if we're not together, we will do this over the phone and do it. Okay. What does it taste like? And, and when we're together, let's just do the one when we're together. Uh, Bev would say, Oh, we need some more, um, um, chicken broth. And I would say, oh, we need a little more. I think it needs a little more oregano. And I would say, no, we need a little more cumin, you know, just doing all that stuff. And then uh, last Christmas, Bev said, I know what we need. We need one more stalk of celery. <laughs> so again, this is a self-generated. We're using the traditional, but we're now taking the the memory and the joy of being together and now doing that. So what I was going from there is we've done our traditional cooking and now we want to rest for uh, an hour or so after cooking before we eat. And what we do as a family there is we get these little votive candles, you know, that have the little little metal basket around them. And we will put about 50 or 60 of the votives on a tray on one side, and we put it on the um, on a uh, coffee table. And then we will hold hands. We will say a blessing about thanking uh, the universe for allowing us to be together on this sacred of, you know, holy day, and that the family is together. And for us now to begin to light a candle. And with that candle, we can say a blessing for anybody, anything, or just make a statement, it doesn't matter. We do it very, in a very joyful, peaceful, but reflective space. 
It's no rushing it to see how many we can light in 20 minutes. And it is just fascinating. When I look at the little kids, when it when it's and we can popcorn, we can go back and forth. It's not going around. It's just when you feel like you would like to do it. And the little kids would say, thank you for the policeman. Thank you for the fireman. Thank you for my teacher. And and then they go on and, and thank you for the friends that we have met throughout the world on the Internet. So it's just really joyful and really uh, addressing the suffering, because this is the reason I believe so strongly right now that each of us, if we can drop into a place of creating a self-generated ritual that makes sense for us, this will be a way that we can relieve much of our own suffering. And that is another reason for this work is suffering is all around us. And I do find that people think, oh, I really don't suffer. You know, I have that worry. I have that fear. But I haven't had the big, the big wound, such as sexual abuse or losing my mate last week, those things. But we all carry suffering. We simply cannot be alive as a human being without that. And so if we want to be compassionate with ourselves, this is where the rituals come in. So when we speak about compassion, compassion is recognizing that we too carry suffering. We have to recognize our own suffering. And then a next step in the suffering is when we can recognize our own suffering, then we are allowed, we are able to connect with others to see that we can be with them to bear witness to them in their suffering. And then as we do this, as you know so well in your work, is that we have to then, as we recognize our suffering, we have to find ways that we can transform that suffering. We have to give it a name. We have to begin to take the steps. And then that fourth phase in a ritual around compassion is we can hope for certain things to decrease our suffering. But whatever rituals we bring forward is to not be attached to the outcome. Say that I am doing my highest, best good. Let me release this and see whatever manifests and comes forward. I loved hearing all about your Christmas rituals and the importance of this. Let's talk a little bit, Barbie, about what is the importance of rituals? Well, I, I think they misunderstand when, when people say ritual, they, they think that it's always a ceremony, quote unquote, but a ritual being this habit and something that you repeat over and over again. And can you speak to the importance of yeah. having something like that? As you talked about for yourself, it becomes like an anchor for us. Right. And let me just give another example. We have a behavior every day of brushing our teeth, but we frequently do it. We brush our teeth. We put the toothbrush back in its holder and then we think, oh, I need to go brush my teeth because we haven't been present. <laughs> right. <laughs> The level of behaviors and the enactment of values and behaviors that we are speaking about here is that you do it with a high intention. You do it with attention. You recognize in this particular moment, your mind can't be wandering. And this is the reason for us to develop a reflective practice, whatever we want to call it, meditation, prayer, 
simply sitting quiet, taking a walk in nature. But the most important thing is that we are present in that particular moment. And it is when we are present in that moment, then we are able to strengthen our capacities to let go of fear and anxiety, frustration, hopelessness and helplessness, and come back to the moment where healing can take place. And I think this is the one thing that we can look at is curing is the eliminating of symptoms, which people try to do. They think if I have this medicine or if I see this doctor, if I take this supplement, I'm going to get well. That's only one small aspect of it. It's the healing. And healing is it's a process. It's something that we are born with. Nobody can take it away from us. And if we can drop into enacting a healing ritual for us, then we are able to access our own interiority. When we say we access a ritual of healing, it can be something as simple and a very easy way to do this on a regular basis is our breath. Mindfully taking a breath in and out. Frequently what happens during the day is if we catch ourselves breathing, we're <sighs> and we're letting our shoulders rise and fall. But this reflective breath is allowing the chest to be still, belly breathing, let the breath move in, let your stomach move out like a balloon, let it fall back to your spine, and finding the rhythm of that. And then the deep breath in allows you to go to a deeper space. And what I find in, it's, it's like a reflective pool. And you and I both have the luxury of having seen many high mountain lakes. And this is a metaphor for me being a backpacker, is being at a high mountain lake. And I can see down 20 and 30 and 40 feet at these lakes that are 10, 5, 10,500 feet. And let's say if Larry is fishing in front of me, he can't see any of the fish because he's just right there at the water. I am above him. So I use this as a metaphor. How do we truly go to a deeper level? Imagine that you have a pool of water or anything that is clear. And if you don't like water, let it be a clear glass and go below it and then drop down and let yourself go with a full presence to allow yourself to meet what is there that awaits you at any given time? And if we can silence our voice, it's always so busy and it's yak, yak, yakking all the time. When we take this deep breath and there, if I ask myself a very simple, short question, extremely profound though, the part of me that is most in need of healing right now is, and I listen to my voice that is in a quiet space. And then I listen to my own words and I answer that question. And I say, the things that I can do right now, or one thing I can do right now to begin to bring about my healing, to release this anxiety and listen to one or two words. And then after I have done my reflective practice there, I again will anchor that experience of just putting my hands together or touching my chest, and because I have done it meaningfully, I can do this if I'm in a crowd 
and I might be getting anxious or I'm losing my sense of intention with what I want to be doing. Uh, I, I remember this reminds me, just take a deep breath and out. Let me also say, I just look here on my counter. Uh, the beauty of these battery-operated candles, and I use these all the time in my work when I go into hospitals, when I go into meetings, because so many places now we can't light a match, but just to find a, a little candle that, that works for you, either a small one or this one. I like this one, and I use this here in my study, and I am going to turn it on. And before I do a coaching session with clients, when I'm with colleagues in a meeting, or when I am here in my study in Santa Fe writing, I will put this candle in my peripheral view or someplace that will be very purposeful for me so that when I go to write, I just, I just start writing. I do not correct. I do not try to make the perfect sentence or paragraph. I just write, write, write. And if it says, oh, Barbie, this isn't anything, I'll say, okay, it's nothing, but I think this is something, and then I'll go into the next. So uh, anything that we can do that can help us relight that burning flame within us, that it's like your program, the spark. What is it that is going to light that again? And we can easily, that flame can go out, but because we carry healing with us at all times, a mere simple breath in and out, allowing yourself to go below the level of the surface. And one of the things that I find in my reflective practice, and I, I find I do it best if I do it in the morning, because my days get really crazy with a lot of to-dos, writing, Zoom calls, lecturing online, uh, the many things, uh, running a family, you know, just all the things that we do. So if I can take 15 or 20 minutes, and this is another thing about rituals, is find a place that works for you in our back hallway that goes from our family space, past the kitchen, past the guest bedroom, is a hallway and it is very small and narrow. And in that, we keep our meditation bench. And I like to sit on the pillow. Larry likes to sit on the bench. But I will just say to him, and then we close the doors. And it is a beautiful, sacred space. And that is our meditation room, that hallway. And it reminds us when we're walking through it that we're walking through a meditation space. So the respectfulness. And uh, But anyway, I have a candle that's also in the windowsill in there that I will burn. Uh, I will click on uh, to light. And then I will sit for 15 or 20 minutes to really get quiet. And I will, at the end of my trying to clear my mind, one of the th strategies that helps me is when I take the breath in, and this is rituals also invoke all of our senses hear, see, feel, touch, taste, and a kinesthetic that somatic experience. So, when I take a breath in, I imagine that I am literally with this breath going inside my breath, literally going into the edges of the moment and allowing those edges of the moment to feel themselves to me. And what that does is that quiets my mind more quickly. As compared to if I just try to sit and get quiet, I can't do it because I've got a busy mind. It's like the metaphor of a small cult we see out in a field jumping around that can't stand up. So again, 
parking our conversation with ourselves when we sit in a reflective space for 10 or 15 minutes and setting the intention to be there. Colo Radio is an exploration of the sights and sounds that make Colorado unique. From exclusive spotlight interviews with local musicians, artists, and creators, to curated playlists that showcase the diverse sound of the Colorado music scene, Colo Radio plugs you into the best that our home state has to offer. Listen to Colo Radio anytime on demand at noco.fm, the NoCo FM mobile app, or wherever you find your podcasts. Hey friends, this is Charles with NOCO FM, the podcast network and streaming radio station dedicated to creating diverse shows just like this one and the numerous others that we help produce. We hope you'll consider becoming a supporter on Patreon, which helps us pay our hosts, produce more shows, and allows us to give back to nonprofits in Northern Colorado. Not only do you become part of our community, but giving also gets you access to an incredible selection of exclusive content from all of our creators, starting at just $2 a month. To get started now, just visit noco.fm slash patron and sign up. Once again, that's n-o-c-o dot f-m slash patron. Now, back to the show. In my workshops, I oftentimes refer to that voice in our head. I, I call it the frolicking puppy. A good one. <laughs> right? Because that, it's like, that's what our mind does. And, and it doesn't help if we beat the puppy. I say we have to train it to sit and stay. Beautiful, beautiful. I think that that is one of the things that we're looking at here is when we are exploring training and learning those behaviors so that we can quickly enact them. And if we look at rituals, there is a structure to them. There is a beginning, a middle, and an end. So what I was just speaking about, what you were speaking about in your workshops, is when you sit and you invite people to go into a deeper space for reflection so that they can begin to do that deeper work that uh, the journey is about. And then you look at the beginning, beginning, middle, and end. We can also, in the language of rituals and the literature, is the separation, the transition, and the return. We can also, on those three words with a separation, this would also be the not knowing. Because frequently we just try to have everything so programmed. The reason for this sacred 15 or 20 minutes is that we can separate and allow ourselves to not know and to just be with what comes up. And then... As we are there, then in this transition period, this is where we bear witness to ourselves, where we bear witness mindfully if someone else is speaking in the group. And then the return is when we are able to release and let go and come back into that space. So another way of looking at uh, the ritual, just that uh, to make it very practical, let's say if I am having, uh, Larry and I are having guests for the weekend, well, I just get so excited. I think about what food would we like to serve? 
would we like to take a hike on our property, making sure I've got fresh flowers in the guest room, you know, of course, clean sheets, clean towels, bathrooms clean, all that kind of stuff. And then to plan a meal, you know, and to set the table and to just... As Florence Nightingale said about all patients that came in to St. Thomas's Hospital in London in the 1860s through the 1900s while she was alive, she died in 1910. She said, you treat every person that walks through these doors as an honored guest. When we can remember that every person that we have the privilege of inviting into our home as guest or patients that we get to coach, have the privilege of walking that journey with, if we can see that we are there with an honored guest. And this is the beauty of what I love about coaching is I as a nurse still have to have my lens of differential diagnosis. But in this coaching space, I'm always going back and forth. But in this coaching space, the beauty of it is I do not have to fix anything or anybody. And this is also with anybody in our life. You or I can neither, we can never fix anybody. What we can do is we can offer some possibilities of things that a person consider. But uh, this is a beauty and it really frees you up with a friend, um, with a client Uh, to be curious and help them begin to look at not the things that are going wrong, but then what's going right. The curiosity, and I just am astonished at all of the pearls that people drop into. And this is the beauty of healing. We carry it with us at all times. And when we shut down, when we get frustrated and overwhelmed, this is when we are not accessing our own interiority. It sounds like when when people get afraid or fearful, if they're going, let's say, like into a surgery, like when you had your hip replaced, Mm -hmm. then in essence, it sounds like without realizing it, they could be shutting down a part of themselves that could actually be helping facilitate their healing. Oh, absolutely. And let me give just an example. I will never forget this. I have never had spinal surgery spinal anesthesia. And so it was the recommendation of the doctor that I have a spinal. And I went, okay, let's look at all the advantages of having a spinal. I will wake up very fast. And I had the spinal in the, uh, in the room before you go to surgery. And the nurse that was in there, it was just glorious. I was going all of a sudden, here I am, you know, this, you know, intellectual trying to figure out, you know, what nerves have just been hit where I start feeling the numbness going down my legs. <laughs> and then I go, I, I go, let go. And then the nurse said to me, Barbie, you know what I would love for you to do right now? And I said, what? And she said, I want you to bring your head and put it here on my shoulder. And she put her hand, I get tears in my eyes when I think about it. Oh, my gosh. And and she said, your spinal is over. Mm. And I laid down again. And then I go to the recovery room. 
And then this is one of the joys of having a relationship. And, you know, I created that. I said, I'd like to meet your team when I go in. And this surgeon, there are like 10 people in the room, all the, you know, everybody doing their stuff. And he turns around, he says, team, this is Barbie and we're getting ready to give her a new hip. Oh my goodness. I've, I've got a clear my eyes on that one. You're okay. <gasps> and I went, oh my gosh. I, and of course they knew what they were doing, but here, you know, I teach this stuff and these are just classic examples of when, when you create your healing team. Now, I, I didn't know everybody in that room, but then the nurse and ethicist came up to you and she said, okay, you've had the spinal. She said, you know what? I'm just going to give you a little sniff here and I'll see you on the other side. Well, <laughs> that was it. <sighs> and then the next thing I know, you know, in a very short period of time, I feel, feel the little roller taking me from the uh, operating table down to my bed again. And I wake up and I am wide awake. And I went, oh my gosh, this is what a spinal's about. And as I'm being wheeled out to the recovery room, I am just laughing my head off. I can't believe it. And then I get into the recovery room and I have Larry. I said, okay, let's, I want you to begin to make telephone calls. I said, no, hand me your telephone. And I dial my business partner and she's expecting not to hear from Larry for about three hours. And she said, what's going on? I said, I've got a new hip. And she said, how can you? She said, it hadn't even been an hour. I said, he's good. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, but, but this is what healing rituals are about. It's how you have your healing team, how you find joy. And this is another thing that I planned before, uh, you know, the things that I wanted in the house. So Larry wouldn't have to, you know, go shop every day and then arrange with friends to bring some food for, you know, the first five days. And then, the other joy on it is who's going to help you, uh, you know, in the recovery process. And yes, uh, Larry is a doc, but he's never given me an injection. I had to take heparin for 21 days in my abdomen. And I just went, I don't want to do this. And I, I let myself be a patient. Here, I'm a nurse. Of course, I could do it. I just went, I don't want to do this. And Larry said, well, I'll do it for you. And then just, uh, you know, he had his way of doing it. And he, he would ask me a very curious question right before he would give the injection and he was so fast I didn't even know he had done it until it started burning a little bit so it's just you know all of those things that you can do to create these healing rituals if you have a surgery and you know if you you don't have a hubby like Larry you know you find your good girlfriend to come in and help you for you know a couple of weeks and you know everything that you need but this this beauty of giving yourself permission to let yourself be a patient if you need to be Allow yourself to ask for help because this is what strong women, most women, all women are strong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes they lose their voice. We don't ask for help. We just go, I can do it. I can do a little bit more and I can do a little bit more. But this is part of uh, rituals of healing and why they're important is to truly find that space every day where you're caring for yourself and really moving from, I, I really see that people say, oh, I'm just going to do a little self-care. But, but to, to me, that's almost the last part of it. What if you began with, I've still got a tear coming to my <laughs> uh, 
the self-reflection piece, I think, is one of the big ones. And then the self-reflection, when you're in that quiet, calm space, then you're able to go to a new level of self-awareness. And that new self-awareness then allows you to truly evaluate the parts of your life that are working and, and are not working. And then you're able to say, these are the pieces of self-care that I really want to concentrate on. And Barbara, you know, in, in my experience, too, I've, I've really found that one of the things I feel like I'm encouraging women in particular a lot about, but even my male clients, is about being a priority in your own life. Exactly. And, and allowing that to be okay, like you're saying. And I love, you know, it's showing up for yourself every day and that you have your own rituals in which it helps enhance your well-being, your healing, your connection to our, our higher selves and our deeper selves. And I actually, from something you said earlier, something that really rang true for me as well, is that not only does it serve in our own healing when we develop these kind of rituals every day, it also, to kind of reiterate something that you had mentioned, it also can become a deeper point of healing as we are bringing a deeper sense of empathy and compassion to the world. And I don't think we're able to access that as well if we don't allow ourselves to dive deeper and be in that daily space. And you said something that was really key there is suffering and grieving is all around us. And that suffering is the story that we tell ourselves that involves our physical, our mental, emotional, social cultural, and I do put environment in there. I mean, it's like right now, I just, I, I mean, we all can cry about what's happening to globally to planet Earth. She needs our help. What can we begin to do to do those little steps, new rituals? And, uh, you know, for example, uh, and it's going to take some time to do, but I'm beginning to look at these uh, to do less plastic is these bags that can be rewashable. So you, you know, get them from the store and you do, you do all your washing routine, but then you store stuff not in plastic, which is the way food should not be. But in these baskets, they're very healthy. So um, all, all of these different ways of doing that. But, uh, but one thing that I was going with that too is everybody's on an airplane and you know the metaphor is put your own mask on before you put your child's mask on. And that is, we have to give ourselves oxygen. We have to, again, find that space for ourselves so that if we are recognizing our own place in the world, our own suffering, then we are able to journey with another. But we have to care for ourselves first, and it's not selfish. It's really the greatest gift, not only we give ourselves, but it's the greatest gift we give others. Exactly. And and that's, the, you know, what the loving kindness is about, that med- meditation. May I be calm? May I be safe? May I be quiet? And then you extend it to the others. And I love spelling that loving kindness word as one word, because what it does is it creates the separation and the alienation of self and others uh, to form love. And it's that deep love. And this is... Um, not a trite word, but love is the thing that is going to save the planet and everything that we can do for it. You know, one of the things that I think is so important is just being able, like you said, to access that love. And we can't get 
that access if we're constantly in our heads all day and if we're in that busy, busy chatter. So developing these rituals, you know, to help us access that love, to help us access healing, which those two are obviously intertwined. What strikes me about all of this, Barbie, when I think about people accessing, you know, these rituals for healing is that it moves people out of a sense of feeling like the victim of a circumstance or a diagnosis. And instead, it becomes a point of empowerment. Can you speak to that? Yeah, you take responsibility for listening to your own story. Because if we can focus our story on what is working, not the things that aren't working, what's working, and then what we're doing is we're accessing strengths. And from strengths, then we can begin to move into the areas that are not working. So it is really, um, and from an integral perspective, what is so important is um, the work of Ken Wilber of looking at the I and the we and then the external its behaviors or structures outside of ourselves. But when we look at this, this I space, who am I? Who do I bring to the table? Who do I bring to this moment? And then when I am able to look at that present moment and the quality of purpose and passion and mission, then I can go to those external, the it, which are the actions outside of me, my own individual interiority, my actions external. Then I will walk my talk. I will choose behaviors that truly manifest what I believe my values to be. Then we, when we look at the we, the we that come together, we look at our uh, intellectual capacities, our intelligence to come together. And this is what I love in this day and age right now is to look at collaborative, interprofessional collaboration. And all of us, I mean, we've got great ideas, but boy, I just sing. It's just like you and, you know, having met you and your friends is you put us together with our friends that have big ideas and we keep on doing and then all sharing these ideas. And all of a sudden it is just so big and it's so exciting. And it just moves us to look at, we showed up in this this world. As the Dalai Lama says, we have about a hundred years. What is your purpose and what are you going to do to make it better? And then when we do our collective work together, like what you're planning in the fall in October, it's we're putting our collective intelligence together to manifest something externally, to bring people together, to truly look at collectively, how can we really perform in a, it's our capacity for performance together that then helps us shift that state of consciousness toward health and healing. Well, and that's just it. Stephan A. Schwartz, when I had him on the show, really helped me understand that, you know, I always thought the tipping point needed to be 51%. But he said, you know, whenever there's 10% in in a given, whether it's a corporation or it's a group of people, really start focusing. Yeah, you can even take it down to one tenth of 1%. We begin to see the shifts. And and that is what is so exciting because we realize our individual work, and as we're talking about here, as we show up every day individually, that is contributing to the healing whole. 
as we are healing ourselves, that is an essential thread. And then when we're able to come together with others, like we're going to do with the Spark Summit or whether we you know, get together like this on a Zoom call, okay. we, we're bringing together that collective energy that even extends that and it just brings it to even even a higher level and a higher vibration that we're able then to share with so many others. Exactly. Going back just briefly to personal rituals before you are getting ready to go for a job interview or do something new or go to surgery or whatever, is this is what's important. You sit with that quality of time to be there, to listen to your story and to anchor it in such a way that when you then, let's say, if you have to go see what you know a health problem is and you get several different diagnoses you will be able to trust what you hear and you will not go crazy and go what am i going to do with all this but you would say this i believe to be true for me this i do not resonate with this i need more i need a second opinion or a third opinion and it's putting your healing team together and knowing that you are your voice and no one can make you do anything that you do not uh, believe to be true for you. And this is where you do listen though when you partner with your healthcare professionals to work it out to where it is right for you. And I loved some of that when I was reading through your material. One of the important things in, in these healing rituals that, that I saw that you spoke about was the importance of being your own advocate, that if someone is ordering a test or something for you that you don't feel like is needed and, and you can ask them, like, how does this go towards exactly what I'm doing? You know, the importance of that. And, and then the other piece that I thought was so beautiful that you wrote was the piece about if you want to talk to your healthcare provider, your person, and they're not taking the time to talk to you and answer your questions, they're probably not going to have a lot of time to help you truly with your healing. That's right. Right. And that is, we know that doctors have a very short period of time, but when you have a sharp question and you can come to the point with your story, what I often find is... <laughs> that five or six minutes you thought you were, was all you're going to get, then it's 20 minutes later. Right. But again, it's not rambling on and on and on. I mean, it's be clear, be concise. What is it that you want and what is it that you need? And putting it that way with uh, a deep sense of in that present moment, healthcare professionals open up. And if they don't open up, you can say, you know, uh, I think I need to bring this appointment to a close right now, and I would like the results of my test, and um, and I will um, follow up with you if needed. And that's, having the courage to do it—that's just it. And again, you're not the victim of your circumstances. You can have your voice, and you can have your opinion, and you can check it out, like you're saying, as you go internally. Then you're able to check it out. And then right. as you're in those meetings, more intuitively be able to register like, how do I feel about this? Am I okay with this? Am I not so okay with this? Yeah. And and try to get that figured out before you get into that meeting that you only have a, a short period of time. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I have to tell you, this this all strikes me as so interesting because as you know, just two days ago, I went and had a strep test and got tested positive, unfortunately. And you know, it was so interesting though. I had one of those rare situations where the physician just started talking with me 
And as we were kind of talking about healing and the things I needed to do next to take care of myself, she actually opened up into this beautiful conversation about her own journey of healing. And we ended up sitting there talking for probably a good 20 minutes. And I thought, what a gift, you know, when we're able to connect with people at that level right. and, and that physicians are able to go beyond just, okay, you know, take your antibiotic and, you know, hope you feel better. Right. And that's exactly it. You had intention and you were there and you said something that invited her. And that's it. You extend the invitation because <laughs> we all want to tell our story and healthcare providers know how to, you know, couch their story. But again, just inviting a little something like that, that is, it, it's our humanity it touches each other. And isn't that what it's all about, Barbie? I mean, no matter what capacity we're in, no matter what our profession is, as, is, as we can touch that humanity within ourselves and then that shared humanity. Right. Oh, Indeed. it's so beautiful. So we, we are about out of time for today. So I want to make sure that number one, people know how to contact you. You have so much information. You've written so many books. How would, how would someone access Barbara Dossi? Well, they could go on the internet and just do my uh, name and a lot of videos and sites will come up. Uh, my professional websites right now are my nurse, integrative nurse coaching. It's inursecoach.com and my nightingale work. That is nightingalevision.net. And uh, they can come up there. Just do Nightingale Declaration uh, or Barbara Dossi Florence Nightingale. It'll come up and you'll see a lot of work there. So what, what would you say, Barbie, for our takeaway? What would be a takeaway essential message that you want to make sure that we're leaving listeners with today? Well, I would invite listeners right now just to ask themselves that question. The part of me that's most in need of healing right now is. And if no words come, that is just fine. Take those words, the part of me that is most in need of healing right now, and then listen to a few words that come to you and spend some quality time alone, going to a deeper space to answer those questions. And then what happens is you begin to reweave your story and the fabric of your life where you think you've just gone a zillion different ways. And that's the beauty of addressing our own suffering uh, is that we literally do reweave the fabric around that wound. And it's very strong. That's beautiful. As you're talking, I can hear a bird singing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> that is wonderful. Oh, hi, that's great. Yep. <laughs> so thank you so much for this wonderful time with you. And it's just wonderful to reconnect with you. It was just an honor to meet you in Santa Fe and get to spend time with you. And I'm so looking forward to having you here in Fort Collins in October for the Spark Summit. Well, we look forward to it very much. Barbara Dossi is such an amazing light. What a joy to have this conversation with her and to focus on the importance of daily ritual and ritual in our lives in general. The importance of showing up for ourselves every day. And when we do these deeper check-ins, we're able to access that part of us that is wise and 
we listen to what our deeper answers are, that is truly where the healing begins to take place. I thought it was really wonderful also when Barbie talked about the importance of being your own advocate and that you can show up for yourself and have your voice in whatever the healing treatment is that you're going to be receiving. Oftentimes we can feel victim to a diagnosis or our circumstances that are leading to an illness. And so I think there's something very important in looking at what can I do to stay in the healing element of this? How can I come up with a plan that helps my healing process? So it sounds like Barbie did a great job of that when she did that for her hip replacement surgery. And so from a couple months out was already doing healing imagery, was already setting up what her care would look like afterwards. And those are all pieces that you can do that help you to feel like you've got a sense of not necessarily control, you know, quote unquote control, but that you definitely have a sense of being empowered in your healing process. So that's such powerful, powerful work. I love the part of cultivating this daily ritual where we touch base within ourselves. And from that place, not only are we growing and cultivating love, empathy, and compassion for ourselves, we're radiating that out to all others and to the rest of our world. And it's through this sense of love and empathy and compassion that we are going to make the change in the world. And that just knowing that you developing this ritual matters, your contribution to the greater whole matters, and that you become one of the intricate threads in this fabric of healing this world. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.
This has been a production of NOCO FM.